Today's scripture comes from Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 through 18. You can follow along on page 4 if you'd like. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, What happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, He gave me these six measures of barley because he said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jason. Good morning again, everybody. I need some good mornings. I have a little bit of a cold here, so I'm going to need the energy to feed off of you guys. This Advent, we are looking at the book of Ruth. We're in chapter 3. Why would we look at the story of Ruth during the Christmas season, during the Advent season? Well, we've been mentioning this the past couple weeks, but Ruth's story is a part of the Bible's birth announcement for Jesus. You can look at it that way. At a time when almost all genealogies, genealogies were important at this time, at a time when everybody's family trees pretty much mentioned fathers only, very, very rare to see any women mentioned. And if you were listing your genealogy, you could skip over 
the people in your family you didn't want to mention, right? Maybe some of you wish you could do that when you're telling your story. Oh, we'll just skip over that one. At, at, at a time like this, the gospel writer Matthew, he goes out of his way to tell us that Ruth, her story, we just read here, part, part of her story, Ruth, a woman who is not Jewish, a woman who was to a Jewish person, a hated Moabite, a foreigner, Matthew went out of his way to say, she is in the family line of Jesus. He's telling us, before you read the story of Jesus, you should know Ruth's story. You should know the story of Ruth. It's an amazing story. Today, our message on Ruth is on chapter 3, and it's about rest, about finding rest in God. Now, Pastor Eric mentioned this at, at the beginning of the service, but preaching a message on rest during the holiday season, it might seem like I'm being very cruel, and maybe, maybe it's just a little bit ironic because it doesn't always feel like the holidays is a restful time for us. Our songs about Christmas, they sound so restful. They point to rest. Very restful picture, silent night, away in a manger, little town of Bethlehem. Those are the Christmas carols. And then we have the more um, popular Christmas songs like chestnuts, they're roasting over the open fire. And we can say, let it snow outside. It's just beautiful and warm and cozy. So restful, these pictures. But our experience of this time of year is often anything but restful. And the worst part of it all is in January, when we're all reconnecting and you're reconnecting with people from work and people go, how was your holiday? How was it? Was it restful? And you go, no. Why did you, why did you ask me why it's restful? It wasn't. It was busy. It was hectic. And we always seem to ask that question of each other. And yet we feel like at the end of this, I, I need a holiday because of the holidays. Like I need a vacation for my vacation. For some, we are too busy. It's too hectic for the holidays to be restful. But for others, maybe it wasn't busy enough. We're too lonely for our hearts to be at rest. St. Augustine said, God made us for Himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. We long for rest, but rest is so elusive for us. If you look at chapter 3 with me, the story in the story of Ruth, I want you to underline two words. First in chapter 1, it's the word rest. Naomi says to Ruth, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you? Underline the word rest. And then go to the end of the story in verse 18, Naomi speaks again, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. Chapter 3 of Ruth's story is a story about rest. It begins with restlessness, but it ends in rest. And so this morning, that's what I want you to consider. Wherever your restless meter is in your own life and heart, as you look ahead to the next few weeks of the holiday season, how restful you think it will be, how can we go from restlessness to rest? Now, if you weren't with us the previous two weeks, 
We need to do a quick story recap here, review to see where we're picking up here in chapter 3. Ruth, the book of Ruth is a book that's easy to miss in the Bible. It's a short story, four chapters, tucked away right between Judges and Samuel. And here's the story. The story in chapter 1, it opens with tragedy. We learn of a family that left the land of Israel during a famine. They chose to go to a place called Moab. Though this was a very dark, spiritually and morally, a time for Israel, Moab was an even darker place. Historically, one of Moab's goals was to undermine and seduce the people of Israel away from worshiping their God to their God, the Moabite God. His name was Chemosh or Chemosh, and he's known uh, to encourage child sacrifice. It was a dark place. They stay in Moab, this family, they settle in. Their sons marry Moabite women, which was forbidden for them to do in the law of Israel. And so we saw how gradually, how subtly they drifted away from God and how this is the case for most spiritual drift. Then tragedy strikes this family. The husband dies. The sons die. And now in Moab, we have three widows who are left on their own. They're grieving. They're vulnerable. They're wondering, what's, what's, what's the future going to be like for us? What does the future hold? And here we wonder, what does this family's story have to do with God's story? This family that had given up on God, that had wandered so far away from God. And we find out, even the hints in chapter 1, the story is about how God had not given up on them. That He had a plan for Naomi and Ruth. If He would have told them the plan, they would not have believed Him. And this should greatly encourage us, no matter how far we drift, no matter how much we suffer and can't make sense of it, God never gives up on us. What happens next? Naomi hears the famine is over in Israel. She decides to go home. One of her daughters-in-law, Orpah, she stays in Moab. So she departs, exits, scene left, stage left. Somehow in all this tragedy, one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, She sees something about the God of Naomi. She says, this God, I must follow this God. She tells Naomi, wherever you go, I am going to go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. And she pledges her life to Naomi to return with her to the town of Bethlehem. Chapter 2, the scene is in Bethlehem. Naomi has returned home. She is grieving. She is bitter. She is immobilized. She just made it home. And she's stuck. Ruth tells her mother-in-law, let me go. Let me go out into the fields. Let me glean. Let's see if we can just eke out an existence here somehow. Maybe somebody will be merciful to us. And we learn, it just so happens that she starts gathering in the field of a man named Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi's dead husband. This man, Boaz, shows Ruth incredible kindness and generosity, and protection. He welcomes her in. He, he gives her food, and He provides for her and Naomi. And we saw that God in all this is working behind the scenes for Ruth and Naomi in a way that they couldn't see. He does the same thing in our lives. Although Ruth, who was a Moabite woman, had no reason to think she would be welcomed in by God, she found out through the character of Boaz, that the God of the Bible is a God of refuge for the nobodies, for the outsiders, 
for the needy. It's why God came into the world as a nobody, a baby born in a manger to a poor woman in an outsider town like Bethlehem where he would have to flee himself as a refugee. That's what we saw in chapter 2. When we come to Jesus empty-handed, when we take refuge in Him, He knows. He shields us. Nothing can get to us through Him except that which He allows for our good and His glorious purpose. Okay, that's chapters 1 and 2. Here, now, chapter 3. This is the love story part of the book of Ruth. So if you like love stories, this is it. This is your chapter, but it's not like a Hallmark holiday special here if you read the story. It's very different. One of the best ways uh, to get to know a married couple is to ask them their engagement story, right? And maybe you've done this before. How did you guys get engaged? How did you propose? And it's really fun to hear uh, people's stories. Uh, For us, a part of my story, I was going to propose in the Grand Canyon, but I chose Carbon Canyon instead in Brea. It's just as amazing. Trust me. Let's go there. If we ask Ruth her engagement story, Ruth, what how, how, did this, how, how did you and Boaz get together? What was that all about? Well, Ruth would say, I was waiting for Boaz to make a move. He didn't. So one night, I put perfume on. My mother-in-law helped me. I got my good clothes out. I snuck out in the middle of the night. I waited till he had a good meal, and he had drunk his favorite beverages. He was in a good mood. Okay? That was important. I waited uh, until he was sleeping. And I decided, just in the middle of the night, he's sleeping, I'm going to sneak into his tent, and then I'm just going to uncover his feet and lie down next to him and then see what he'll do. Well, he woke up and he saw me and he said, who are you? And I decided right then, it was a perfect moment, I proposed to him. (laughs) And not only that, I said, it's kind of the law. You have to marry me. (laughs) And that's how we got together. This happened over 3,000 years ago, and things were a little bit different back then. There is a lot going on here that is foreign to us. So let's go over the story. We need to understand how did Ruth find rest in this, and then we'll look at the story and how it tells us we can find rest. So let's look at Ruth's story first. How did Ruth... Find rest. There are three parts to this story, to Ruth's story here. There's the plan, the proposal, and the promise. Let's talk about the plan in verses 1 through 5 first. Okay, the plan is, Naomi comes up with this with Ruth, we have to find you a husband, Ruth, because at this time, for a woman, you needed to be attached to a father's or a husband's household in order to have rest and security and protection. Now, if you're thinking... There goes the Bible again, reinforcing a patriarchal system, not advancing the rights and the value of women. I want you to just take that thought, hold on to that. We're going to come back to it. But that's the reality at this time. Naomi's plan was to make Ruth attractive, to go to the threshing floor. What is the threshing floor? A threshing floor was an open air area. It was away from the fields where they did all the harvesting. They took all the grain there and they tossed it up. They used their winnowing fork and they separated the grain from the stalks and the chaff. So that's where um, the workers worked to 
separate the grain. And you would stay overnight. Why? Because you wanted to protect your crops. And so Boaz and his workers were out there on the threshing floor. This is a very risky plan. It is also a very risque plan. You're going into a man's tent, looking your best to the threshing floor at this time could easily have been misinterpreted by Boaz. I think you might see how. In addition to that, at this time, threshing floors were places where prostitutes would frequent for business. But this plan of Naomi's and Ruth is not based on passion, we see. It's not primarily based on physical attraction. It was based on character. In verse 11, what did Boaz notice about Ruth? He didn't notice her clothes. He didn't say, wow, there's a woman here lying at my feet. He said, you, Ruth, you are a woman of noble character. It's in verse 11. In verse 1 of chapter 2, the same thing was said about Boaz. He was a man of noble character. Naomi knew. Boaz, he will not take advantage of you, Ruth. He has protected you. He will continue to protect you. It's who he is. Note this, one of the best marriages in Scripture, Ruth and Boaz, one of the best marriages in all of Scripture, based, started, founded in character. Verse 4, Naomi said, wait till he's done eating and drinking. When he lies down, go uncover his feet and just lie down next to him. And Ruth says, okay, great plan. I mean, what is that? What is going on with that? Well, this is where the proposal comes in. In verses 6 and 7, you see, it just repeats. Naomi's plan, Ruth is following it to the T. She does everything Naomi says. At midnight, Boaz wakes up. He's startled. There is a woman lying at his feet, it says. What is happening? He says, who are you? And here's where Ruth veers way off the plan. Naomi said, what? Wait until Boaz tells you what to do. Ruth doesn't wait. She proposes right there on the spot. She says, take me under your wing. Spread, the, uh, this is a way of interpreting the Hebrew, spread your garment over me. This was a symbolic action to represent engagement. When a man would spread his garment over a woman, he said, I am engaged to you. Ruth said, do that for me. Will you marry me is what she's saying. This is a woman, a poor foreign woman, a Moabite, proposing to a rich Israelite man of status, of character, of influence. This is unheard of. It breaks all social conventions. But that's not it. She proposes and she tells him what to do based on Old Testament law. Here, this foreign Moabite woman is telling this noble Israelite man, here is what the law requires of you. You are a family redeemer. What is a family redeemer? The Hebrew is goel. This refers to Old Testament family law. There were laws in the Old Testament to protect families, to protect someone's family line and the family land. A family redeemer would protect his relative's property. A family redeemer would help buy his family out of indentured servitude if they found themselves destitute. A family redeemer would ensure justice. And in the case of a brother, he would take on his brother's widow 
as his own wife to continue his brother's family line. And here Ruth is taking all of that and saying to Boaz, God told me, you need to marry me. I don't recommend that as a strategy for a proposal for anybody, but that's what Ruth was saying here. And what does Boaz respond? He says, may the Lord bless you, i.e., yes, I will marry you. He says, I will do whatever you say. Now, I don't want to empty the story of any romance and attraction. I think it was there, but we get the sense that they both want to marry each other, but there's more than that going on. In fact, Ruth was not only acting out of her own interest, she was acting to continue the family line of Naomi and her dead husband. Remarkable woman, Ruth, not even just thinking of herself. That's the proposal. Then the promise comes. Boaz tells Ruth, yes, but. Now, if you are asking somebody to marry you and you say, will you marry me? And they say, yes, but. That's when your heart just drops and sinks. What's coming next? But, but Boaz says, there is another family redeemer. He's actually more closely related to Naomi and Elimelech. He has legal priority over me. And Boaz, true to character and integrity, his character and integrity, he says, we have to do this the right way. But did you notice? He makes a promise. Not just a promise. He makes a solemn vow. He says, as the Lord lives, if he does not redeem you, I will. Solemn promise. The highest promise he could make. Near the end of the story, it says, Ruth, he says, just lodge with me, lie down here until the morning. And you may be wondering, what really happened between Boaz and Ruth? This, this word tells us. It's a clue. It's a very intentional word choice. The, the narrator and the storyteller is avoiding the word with sexual connotations. It's not lie with me, it's lie down. Notice, true to character, again, they both choose integrity and character over passion. When Ruth goes home in the morning, she tells Naomi, this is what happened. In verse 18, Naomi says, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves it. What I think Naomi is telling Ruth is, Boaz won't rest until you are his. So you can wait. Wait to see how this plays out. You can trust his character. You can rest. So there it is, the love story of Boaz and Ruth. What's in that story for us and our own restlessness? There's a lot. Let me share a few things. How can we find rest? First of all, be at rest. You can fill in the blank if you're taking notes. God is mysterious, God is faithful. In Ruth, especially in chapter 3, we see God is mysterious. His ways are surprising. God's ways are subversive. And God is faithful. His ways are sure. His ways are stable and steadfast. Ruth teaches when we hold these two things together, the mystery of God and the faithfulness of God, we can rest. 
Let me explain. I said I'd come back to this. You might hear this story, like I said, and go, here goes the Bible. It's affirming status quo. A woman needs to find rest by getting married. How traditional and quaint. What you need to know is how surprising and subversive a story Ruth is. First of all, it's scandalous that Ruth is even in the Bible at all. A book in the Bible, the Israelite Bible, named after a Moabite woman. As I said, the Moabites were the hated enemies of the Jews. They said, I can't learn anything from a Moabite woman. Why is there a book named after one? Now, you may have some stuff in your family history that you don't want anybody to know about. A good Israelite would want to, at all costs, cover and hide the fact that his family tree had a Moabite widow in it. But here in Ruth, we see that God highlights this. Look at this. The whole book of Ruth, he's saying, look at this. Do you see who's in King David's line? Who is the greatest Israelite of all? It's up for debate, but King David is one of them. Look at this. There was a Moabite widow in his line. It's a family tree of David. This is the family tree of my son. This is the family I choose. You want to know how I work? Who I work through? I work through a woman proposing to a man a younger person proposing to an older, a beggar, a field worker of the lowest class proposing to an upper class field owner, a Moabite proposing to an Israelite using a plan that's very uncomfortable, very close to that of a prostitute. What? That's God's work? One of God's favorite things to do is to upend the status quo, to surprise us to tell us you thought you had me figured out. You'll never have, you fi- have me figured out. Boaz, he breaks the masculine mold. He's strong. He's a protector. Yet he allows Ruth to take the lead here. Ruth breaks the feminine mold. She's so humble, so faithful, yet so bold in taking initiative. So much, friends, of our restlessness in life comes from wanting to have all the answers to have everything figured out, to have God all neat and tidy and in a box. But friends, He will surprise you, and we will never rest until we let go of having to figure it all out, to figure God out. In our prayer of confession, we heard the words of Jesus. He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Love that passage, one of my favorite passages. The verses right before that, what does Jesus say? He says, I thank you, Lord, my Father, that you have hidden all these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. To infants. No one can know the Father except those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. An infant The world is still full of wonder and mystery to an infant, is it not? Jesus says, it's the infants that can rest in my wonder, in my mystery. God is mysterious. God is also faithful. Ruth and Naomi banked everything, their whole lives, on this risky plan. It depended on God's faithfulness. They said, didn't God lead us here back to Bethlehem? Didn't He take care of us? Didn't he connect us to Boaz? 
Yes, I, I, he did. But, but is this the right plan? How can we know? And so much of our restlessness in life comes from wanting to eliminate all risk, doesn't it? How will I know it'll be okay? What's going to happen if we get caught up in all these what-if scenarios? We have insurance, we have savings, we have contingency plans. We want to guarantee everything will be okay. What we see from the story of Ruth is that taking risk is not the opposite of rest, but that risk grows out of rest. One of our reflection quotes from Mark Buchanan captures it so well. He said, unless and until we rest in God, we will never risk for God. Always playing it safe and being comfortable does not give us rest. Do you see that in the story of Ruth? In the parable of of Jesus, when he told the parable of the talents, there was one man who was given a talent by God. He took it and he said, I don't want to risk. What's going to happen? What if I lose it? What if I mess up? So I'm going to bury it over here in the ground. And when he was called to give an account, he was told he wasted what he was given. Rest does not come from eliminating risk. Rest comes from trusting in the faithfulness of God. God doesn't always lay it all out there for us. Most often, He doesn't. He leads us, He guides us, He shapes our stories, but He calls us to act on faith. We have to trust, and we can, because God is faithful. Be at rest. God is mysterious. God is faithful. Be at rest. Secondly, God's limits in your life are gifts. Another one of the main reasons why so many of us are so restless is that we were always trying to do too much. We're trying to do it all. We never think we're doing enough. We live life without limits, so we are always restless. This is why I, can I speak personally? This is why I need the book of Ruth so bad, because I live like that. Until studying Ruth the past few weeks, I didn't realize Ruth is truly one of the greatest characters, one of the most brave, one of the most bold and faithful and loving people in all of the Bible. She is incredible. You could debate she is the greatest in the Bible besides Jesus. But where was Ruth's greatness found? Not in how much she did. She didn't do it all. She didn't really do that much. Not in how many great things she accomplished. She cared for her mother-in-law, and she got married, and she had a baby. Where was the greatness of Ruth? It was seen in how she loved within her God-given limits. She had a lot of limits. She was a Moabite, a woman. She was a widow. She was poor. She had good reason to say, why, God, do I have all these things in my life. Shouldn't I live a greater life? But she didn't. Instead, she loved within those limits, and that is what Boaz saw. It's why he wanted to marry her. Look at verse 10, chapter 3. He says, I bless you. Everyone knows you're a woman of noble character. You could have gone after any number of men. Somebody poorer, maybe you wanted to marry. Somebody younger, somebody richer, 
all kinds of other reasons. She didn't go after other men. In proposing to Boaz, as we said, she was showing her faithfulness, even to Naomi. The biblical word for this, this love within limits, is chesed. Hesed means to show faithful love. It's the word translated kindness in the story. It's loyalty. It's to make and keep promises. It's to stay committed, especially to the few people in the world who are closest to you. To show hesed to another person means to give up freedom and to embrace limits. When you have kids, parents, you give up the concept of free time, right? You give it up. You don't have that freedom. When you get married, you limit your love to one spouse in the world. When you have a friend, you invest in that friend. You don't drop them when somebody else cooler comes along. You choose limits. And instead of losing yourself and giving up your freedom, you find yourself in the showing of hesed. That's biblical maturity. And in giving us our limits, God is teaching us to love like Him. How do limits work? We have speed limits. If we break the speed limit, okay, more than just five, but if we really break the speed limit, we're putting the lives of everybody else around us in danger, are we not? We have credit limits. Why do I have credit limits? I just want to buy whatever I want because you're putting all the rest of your assets in danger if you break your credit limits. In the same way, if we ignore the limits God has put in our lives, we'll be in danger of missing the most important things He's calling us to do. This week, the nation honored um, President 41, George H.W. Bush. Did you have a chance to see what his son, George W. Bush, said in the eulogy for his dad? So meaningful, very moving. Many people were remarking afterward, I was, I was seeing the reaction, what's a greater honor when our lives are done on this earth? Being the President of the United States or when we die and our time is done, having our sons say about us, I love my dad. I respected him. He was the best father a son could have. The book of Ruth is about the love of Ruth for just two other people. And it forever changed and impacted history. It turned the tide of an entire nation with the eventual birth of David. It's speculation, but I imagine David knew the story of his grandmother. I think we can assume that, that the greatness of Ruth was how she loved in her limits. Friends, we all have limits, our time, our energy, our health, the needs of our family, our kids, our parents, our spouses, our gifts and abilities are limited. We have brokenness, we have wounds in our lives, we have emotional, physical, psychological limits. Instead of trying to break through these limits, what if? What if God is teaching us to love within them? We might find rest in that. We might find God's call to us in that. Lastly, be at rest. God is mysterious. He is faithful. Be at rest. God's limits to you are gifts. Lastly, be at rest. God won't rest until you are fully redeemed. As I said earlier, 
The story begins with restlessness and ends in rest. The beginning of the story, there's anxiety. What's going to happen with Ruth and Naomi? Naomi tells Ruth, at the end of the chapter, after all that has happened now, you can wait. You can rest. There's restlessness to rest. How can we experience that? Yes, we can remember God's character. He's mysterious and faithful. We can receive the limits God has put into our lives and stop trying to be it all and do it all. But the story of Ruth tells us there's something deeper that we need. There's something deeper underneath all of this that we have to have to find rest. If we don't get there, we'll struggle with restlessness. We'll have a hard time grabbing onto God's character and receiving His limits as gifts. Let me ask you this. For Ruth, what changed for her, for her from verse 1 to verse 18? Why could she wait? What was different? She wasn't married yet. What changed? She had a promise, a promise she could believe in. Even more accurately, she was made a promise by someone she could trust absolutely to keep his word. Boaz made a promise, and he can be trusted to see it through. Naomi says he won't rest until you find rest. Because of Boaz's love, Ruth, you can rest. You can wait. The covenant promise of Boaz is meant to point us to an even greater covenant promise, an oath. The love story of Ruth and Boaz, their love story it is a part of a greater love story. Ruth is about God's promise to His people to give them rest in a king to come. That's why the book of Ruth ends with the name David, the coming king. It's why Ruth doesn't end with a wedding, but it ends with a birth of the baby that was to come. Ruth is about her great-grandson, her great David, and how he brought rest to the people. And even more so, Ruth is about Ruth's greater-grandson, Jesus. In Jesus, we see, because of God's promise, because of His love for us, we can rest. We can absolutely trust Him with anything. He promises us not to rest until we find rest. Now, I was, I was pointing out with Boaz right there, he made a solemn vow. He said, as the Lord lives, meaning I will die if I don't keep this promise. That's how serious I am about this, Ruth. I promise you will be redeemed. And as I said, that promise of Boaz points us to an even greater covenant oath made by God himself. It's very rare in the Bible that God says, I swear by it. I swear it. As kids, we were taught by our parents, you don't need to say, I swear. That, that makes me feel like you're not telling the truth. Don't swear when our kids say, no, I swear, I swear, I didn't do it. I swear, I swear, it wasn't me. Why would God swear? There are, there are a couple times, I'm going to show you in just a moment, two times God swears. Why would He tell us, I swear to you? Isn't it because of how hard it is for us to rest and to trust in Him. He says, I know it's hard. I'm going to swear to you. The first time He swears to us, 
It's actually in Psalm 95, and it's pointed out by the writer of Hebrews in chapters 3 and 4. There, it's talking about the wilderness generation. God says of that generation, the writer of Hebrews says, whom did he swear, swear that they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? We see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For also we have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest. God says, I swear to you, you will not find rest except finding it in the good news preached to you. I swear it's nowhere else. I swear if you receive the good news of my son, if you trust me, you will enter into my rest. That's Psalm 95, Hebrews 3 and 4. It's one other place where God swears. Isaiah 62. In Isaiah 62, God is speaking to His people Israel. This is many years after the story of Ruth. The people have still not found rest. And they are wondering, can we trust God? Will we ever find rest in His promises? He says through Isaiah to His people, one day you will no longer be called deserted. Your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called, my delight is in her. Your land will be called married. For the Lord delights in you. Your land will be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. As a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. He says, don't allow him to rest. That's talking about God. Until he reestablishes Jerusalem. Until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. The Lord swears by an oath, by his right hand, by his strong arm. What is God swearing there? He's swearing an oath, a covenant promise. He is saying, because I love you, because I delight in you, I will not rest until you are fully at rest. Friends, our restlessness is an indicator, it's a gauge of where our faith is, where it truly lies. When we're restless, we're looking to things, we we're relying upon things. We're not sure they'll come through. They're uncertain. When we're at rest, we feel like there's something we can trust. God is saying to us, I swear to you, you can bank on this. Trust in me and find rest. We can look to the manger and know that Jesus, the one who was born for us, he understands the human heart of restlessness. We can look to the cross. Boaz said, as the Lord lives, I will die if I don't keep this promise. At the cross we see, God did enter into death to keep His promise to us. He loves us even in our unbelief. And we look to the resurrection. Jesus was raised for us. So in our times of waiting, we can trust 
He says to us, I swear you will be fully redeemed. Everything you don't understand, everything that hurts, everything that's broken, everything that you're worried and afraid of, all of it will be redeemed. I will not rest. I will not rest until you, my son, my daughter, are at rest. Friends, let us take our restlessness to Him. We can trust Him. We can bank on it. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You that You are a God who gives rest. You give rest to the poor, the oppressed, the refugee, and the vulnerable. You give rest to those who are weary and heavy laden. We need rest for our souls. Meet us with Your strength and Your might and Your promise exactly where we need it. Thank You that we can trust You will not rest until You have resolved every last bit of our brokenness and pain. Help us find rest in that. And use us to give rest to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.